0: Folks, Mac Weldon is a sponsor here at the podcast, and I'm excited about that because they make comfortable clothes. Yeah, socks and underwear. They're necessities. You know who doesn't wear socks and underwear? Wild animals. You know who does? Human beings. Are you a human being? Yes, you are. They make hyper-comfortable socks and underwear that you can use all the time. And they are antimicrobial. Microbial? Microbial? Antimicrobial, which means they eliminate stinky stinks. And they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like the first pair of socks, keep it. And they will still refund your money. No questions asked. Yeah, they got shirts, socks, and underwear. They look good and they perform well. You can work out at them. You can take them on a first date. If you want to go to a movie wearing this kind of underwear, you can and you'll be comfortable. Want to go on a long walk with your lover? Put on these socks and undies. They're comfortable. Go to macweldon.com, get 20% off using promo code READ. These aren't just boring stocking stuffers, these are things that can change your life. One step at a time, one sock at a time, Mac Weldon. Well, another Thanksgiving has come and gone. To my American listeners, happy American Thanksgiving. Uh, to my Canadian lister- listeners, happy belated Thanksgiving. To my European listeners, uh, my Asia-Pacific listeners, Australian, Mexican listeners, I say hello to you. Uh, it's reading loud. My name is Nate Cordry. It's the holiday season, and I have some holiday joy to bring you. I have a really hilarious piece that, again, sometimes I really like the stuff that I find and I want to read it myself. I don't want to pawn it off to some knucklehead friend who's going to ruin it. So I'm going to do this reading myself. Act one is a hilarious piece from McSweeney's Internet Tendency. Uh, Wendy Molyneux, who writes for Bob's Burgers on Fox, wrote this hilarious Thanksgiving piece. That I tried to get through without laughing, and I couldn't. But I kept a laugh in there because I think it's because I think I'm adorable. Oh yeah, you cute. On a scale of um, like uh, dead bird to mm-hmm. newborn puppy, where where am I? Newborn puppy. Um, thank you. I'm thankful. F- I'm thankful for you. I'm so thankful. What'd you say to me? Well, I said I'm thankful. Why? Because I mispronounced the name before that. Yeah. You know who I'm not thankful for? Oh no, Is your it me? wisecracks. No. Hey, it's Nate Cordry. How are you guys? Thanks for tuning in to Reading Aloud. Uh, it's a reading series. It's a literary podcast. It's an interview show. We have book clubs. We do it all. Last week's book club was fantastic. Uh, the haunting of Hill House. Shirley Jackson. We have an. We had an amazing panel, and it was real, real fun. So download that episode if you want something to listen to. I'm assuming a lot of you are traveling back home. After being away for Thanksgiving, thanks for putting us in your ears while you negotiate holiday travel. That's not, dif- that's not easy. It's difficult. So thank you. And I'm going to reward you with some laughs. But before we get there, let me say, December 13th, um, there's a show at UCB Franklin here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing at you, Sam. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Uh, it's the last live show I'm going to do for a while probably not until next summer. So if you want to come and see a live Reading Aloud show, this is the one to see. Sunday, December 13th, UCB Franklin. Steve Agee, John Daly, uh, Seth Morris, Emily Maya Mills. It's a fantastic lineup, as usual. All new pieces. I will not be repeating a single piece. All new stuff, new content. So come down to the UCB. It's $5. Sunday, December 13th, before you get out of town. Uh, to see your family for Christmas or Hanukkah, uh, hang out and get some laughs. It's five bucks. Um, so check that out. Also, pick up, uh, it's called Station Eleven. Emily St. John Mandel. It's getting four out of five stars on Goodreads. New York Times gave it a great review. Amazon's four out of five stars. It's a fantastic read. I just started it, and it is real, real fun. Let me read you the basic description Which is on, which is on Amazon. Uh, it says, uh, an audacious, darkly glittering novel set in the eerie days of civilization's collapse. Station 11 tells the spellbinding story of a Hollywood star, his would be savior, and a nomadic group of actors roaming the scattered outposts of the Great Lakes region, risking everything for art and humanity. It was a National Book Award finalist. It didn't win, but it was a finalist. New York Times bestseller, Station Eleven, Emily St. John Mandel. Go pick it up now for the book club, and that's coming up in three weeks. So be a part of that. And you can reach out to us. You can reach out to me at Twitter at I'm Nate Cordry, and then you can reach out to the podcast at Reading Aloud Pod, and send us an email, readingaloudpodcast at gmail.com. If you've read the book, share your thoughts. Uh, let's see, what else do we have to get to here? Um, oh, before we get to this first story, I just want to say that I'm reading an amazing book right now, uh, separate from Station 11, 11, it's called Stoner, it's by John Williams, and it is the greatest American novel you've never heard of, says the New Yorker, and I agree. It is very sparse, it's a bit of a downer, but it is so fucking good, it is just... It's so tight and sharp, and I just want to read the first paragraph to this review. In one of those few gratifying instances of belated artistic justice, John Williams' stoner has become an unexpected bestseller in Europe after being translated and championed by the French writer Anna Gavaldà. Once every decade or so, someone like me tries to do the same service for it in the U.S., writing an essay arguing that stoner is great, a chronically underappreciated American novel, and yet it goes on being largely undiscovered in its own country, passed around and praised only among a bookish cognoscenti, and its author, John Williams, consigned to to that unenviable category inhabited by such august company as Richard Yates and James Salter, the writer's writer. It is undeniably a great book. I'm three-quarters of the way through, and it is fantastic. It's turn of the century, it's, it takes place like sort of Dust Bowl times in the Midwest and this uh, young farmer who is, lives in very sort of Spartan means ends up going to college and discovers his love of literature and becomes an academic. and falls in love and has a marriage and it's about his life and it's very simple and quiet. It's not like great – it's not a bunch of party scenes and craziness and fun and war and death and sex. It is just about this man's life. But it's really moving and worth a read. So check it out. Stoner, John Williams. Okay, time to get to some jokes. Um, found this just yesterday. It is hilarious. Uh, give it a listen. This is me, Nate Cordry, <laughs> uh, reading a really, really funny piece by my new Twitter friend, uh, Wendy. It's on the McSweeney's website. You can go to McSweeney's.net, find it there. It's uh it's about Thanksgiving tips and here it is. Well, it's that time of year again. I am talking about Thanksgiving. You're probably seeing a lot of articles about what a turkey is and how to cook it. Wow, you might be saying to yourself, "Cooking a Thanksgiving turkey sounds hard and complicated and probably should be left to master chefs only." Well, I say boo to that. Not boo Like a ghost would say, I'm saying, boo, like I disagree that cooking Thanksgiving dinner is hard. It is literally the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is follow my instructions, use your intuition, and go with the flow. Next thing you know, your guests will be saying, yay, and not boo, Except for maybe that one friend of yours who always comes to Thanksgiving dinner dressed as a ghost and then says, boo, all the time. I'm looking at you, Geraldine. So, here is how to do it. Wendy's Easy Turkey Recipe. One, Go down to the grocery store, the one where you are still allowed to shop. Select and pay for the turkey of your choice. You can try to get away with not paying for it by putting it in your shirt and then sashaying out the door like a goddamn princess. But if the turkey falls out right when you are passing the security guard, he may or may not believe that you had a frozen turkey baby right then. And that makes sense because your mom was a turkey and it skips generations. I know that putting a turkey up your shirt and sashaying sounds like the absolutely perfect plan, but let's just say that things can and do go wrong with plans like that, so just take that under consideration and then proceed. Two, once you get the turkey home and you have had a few drinks of water or wine or whatever, honestly, there's nothing wrong with NyQuil in moderation, it's time to get that turkey a cooking, and if... Like me, you are terrified of your oven and you think maybe you left a casserole in there a long time ago when you thought you had a date, then it will be a huge relief to know you don't have to use it at all. In fact, turn right now and scream at your stove, you can't control me! Now we're getting in that Thanksgiving mood. Go to your medicine cabinet and look for some tanning oil. Not sunscreen because that might slow down the turkey cooking, but that good old-fashioned stuff from the 80s that help you tan faster. Slather the tanning oil liberally on the raw, now semi-frozen turkey. It's probably smelling great already. 3. Take the turkey outside behind the carport. Important. Do not let Steve in apartment seven see you doing this. He gets really mad and calls the police. And even though putting a raw turkey on the hood of someone's vehicle to cook it is not really against the law, it's going to cut into your day if the cops show up because it will be kind of hard to explain to a police officer what you're up to no matter how much NyQuil you've had. Okay, now, place the turkey on the hood of Steve's car in that spot with great sun exposure. Four, The actual cooking is going to take three to four days. So it's really important to verify that Steve has already flown to his mom's house in Kansas City for the whole week. You can do this by casually pounding on Steve's door at various intervals and saying stuff like, Are you there, Steve? And what about that date we were supposed to have that one time? And boo! Yes, go ahead and say boo! I know that's Geraldine's thing, but honestly, why should she have all the fun? 5. While you are waiting for the turkey to slowly cook in the sun, aka God's oven, for three or four days, just taste it every few hours to see how it's doing, why not whip up some fun sides? Do you want to make some stuffing? Well, the key word to stuffing is stuff. So just look around your apartment for some stuff you aren't using, like receipts, beanie babies, hand soap, and all of Steve's mail. Mix it in a bowl and then go outside and put it in the turkey. Don't worry if it cooks as long as the turkey or not, because none of that is food anyway. You know what else is fine if you run out of NyQuil? Benadryl. And did you ever notice that chips are delicious and you know where Steve's hide-a-key is? Six, here are some other sides you can make. While you are waiting for the turkey to cook and watching TV at Steve's. Mashed potatoes. Baked potatoes. Green beans. Baked beans. Yams. Hams. Clams. And jams. Make whatever you want. I can't control you. You can't control anyone in this life. Least of all Steve. Seven check the turkey. If it feels like your friends are coming over soon, maybe a way to get that turkey cooking faster is to drive around town in Steve's car. That way, the turkey is getting heated by the sun and by the engine. It'll be done in no time, probably. Eight. Boo! Nine. See? It's fun! Ten. Notice at this point, you are most of the way to Kansas City. The turkey is cooking nicely, and you might as well push on through. A lot of people think it is too far to drive from Los Angeles to Kansas City, but it's really not that bad. Eleven. It's amazing that the NyQuil isn't even really making you tired anymore. You feel powerful and amazing. You cooked a turkey. This must be how Geraldine feels with all her ghost antics. Twelve. Stop in at the Bed Bath & Beyond near Steve's mom's house for a white sheet. Cut eye holes in it. Based. 12. By the time you get to Steve's mom's house around midnight, your turkey should be nicely browned and have a terrific tanning oil slash beanie baby smell. It's snowing lightly, and you just know Steve is in there living it up. 14. Slip the ghost costume over your head, making sure you can see through the eye holes. Take the turkey off of Steve's car's hood and place it nicely in your hands. If you've cooked any sides, fill your pockets with them. 15. Scoot on up to Steve's mom's front door. Ring the bell. Boy, wait till Steve sees you dressed as a ghost holding a turkey stuffed with his wet mail. This date will be even better than the first one you never had. Sixteen, listen to the sounds of footsteps approaching. Seventeen, enjoy! Football season marches on, and while your fantasy-long football team may be going nowhere fast, every week is a new shot for glory at DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the destination for one-week fantasy football, where you can relive the fantasy draft and play for huge prizes each and every week. Challenge your friends in a custom league, or play against strangers. Doesn't matter. It's equally fun. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and collect your winnings. That's it. DraftKings is crowning a new millionaire every week this season, and you could be next. Yes, I'm talking to you, Lisa, and you too, Darren, but only if you play. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use promo code READ, as in reading aloud, wink, wink, and play for free with your first deposit in Sunday's Millionaire Fantasy Football Contest. First place takes home a hundred grand and a lifetime of bragging rights. Enter READ for free entry now, only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Peter Melman is a writer of great success. Nominated for five primetime Emmy Awards, Peter is perhaps best known for his work on Seinfeld, working as a writer and producer on over 150 episodes of that show and coining some of its most famous turns of phrase. But there's more. Well before Seinfeld, he wrote for just about everyone, GQ, Esquire, New York Times Magazine, The Washington Post, where he was a sports writer. Having succeeded at all of those things, now he's writing novels. His first novel, entitled It Won't Always Be This Great, is published by Bancroft Press and is fucking great. Peter Melman, thank you for coming on Reading Aloud. It's my pleasure. This book is uh, really fun to read. I had a blast reading it. Um, It's smart and funny and cynical and wry, and it's right, I have to say, it's right in my wheelhouse of fiction. I like suburbia. Anything that takes place in suburbia and deals with um the countless frustrations brought upon the suburban man or woman um fascinates me.
1: Yeah. Is that, did it did you grow up in suburbia? I actually didn't. I mean, I grew up in Queens. I pretty much grew up oh. in an urban setting. Um and I'm not exactly sure why I became so fascinated with suburbia but you know like i was a huge john updike fan and you oh, know yeah. all that stuff is incredibly suburban and you know i went away to college at university of maryland and you know all of a sudden i met all these people from you know the suburbs of every major east coast city and yeah. it was like a different planet yeah completely different walks of life yeah and the Just the sheer level of tact that takes to get through your day in these little suburbs—I could have never done it.
0: You put it so brilliantly. I, um, you talk about privacy in the city. Um, It's page twenty-nine. Do you mind if I read your book at you? I love the city. Elise worked in an art gallery, so I got to go to parties with lots of chain smokers floating above reality discussing airy philosophies. I think pretentiousness is underrated. It's being down to earth that makes people boring. What I miss most about the city is the privacy, not like suburbia where, God forbid, you're depressed and take a walk past all the French doors with everyone peering out. Gee, Margot, does he look suicidal or what? In the city, you pass the same person in your lobby every day and never ignore acknowledge their existence. It's the peak of civilization.
1: I truly believe that.
0: It's so (laughs) brilliantly put. You're absolutely right.
1: That was the greatest thing living in New York was passing somebody they didn't, every day, they didn't acknowledge you, you didn't acknowledge them. That was the peak of the world.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't out of contempt or maliciousness, quite the opposite.
1: You know, there was like a mutual admiration about
0: it. I'm going to do you a favor by not inter- interrupt. It's hard enough living in this city. I'm not going to learn your name and at- and slow you right. down. I think it's very right. generous of your fellow man.
1: And you know what? I think if you're in an emergency situation, they would be just as apt to help you out as the neighbor who you say hello to every day.
0: Absolutely. If not more,
1: right. because
0: they want to prove... Through us not speaking with each other and having a relationship, I'm going to prove to you that I still care about you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's something about how – I remember walking – when I first moved to New York, my brother said, um, don't be afraid to ask for directions. And I was like, but then they're going to know I'm new to the city. And they're like, it is a badge of honor for someone to tell someone where to go. Because And right. they say – then they, they're proving that they know the city. Yeah. They love that. We yeah. love that. There's nothing more exciting than to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's a great place, three blocks down and one to the right.
1: It's all – it's everything that has ever been written about New York is is just completely wrong. The people are nicer there than anywhere else. It's the safest place to be in the United States. There's no doubt it. There's no doubt that Manhattan is the safest place in America. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, nobody has guns. Everybody's civilized. And you know what? There's trust, because all different races are walking by each other and dealing with each other every day. You know, I could be in LA, which I happen to love LA, but, you know, I could be here for two months, and, you know, the chances of me talking to a black person are like, you know, 10%.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's also not only like all races, but it's all, and New York is surrounded by all the levels of... Socioeconomic yeah. status, right? Which is a wonderful grounding thing. Yeah, to I walk mean, by everyone.
1: I have to say, you know, living in Santa Monica, I mean, like, you know, my big class leap is, you know, saying is saying to one black guy, um, "Yeah, I'll have a little room with that."
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's it.
1: Wow, that's not much. No, unbelievable. It takes, um, it takes a lot of effort. But yeah, that said, yeah. I just want to reiterate that I'm not shit talking LA. I love it. No,
0: yeah. How long have you been here for? Twenty five years. And you were you're living in New York before? Yes. And do you what do you get back to New York at all? Or are you basically not that much?
1: Yeah, once a year or so.
0: Yeah. Um, so there are two stories being told at the same time in your book. There, there's you, Peter, telling this story to the reader. And then there's our hero telling the story to his college roommate, and I, I wondered how you tell me what you gained in using that as the prime device of telling the story.
1: I gained um, I gained the benefit of doing it all in first person, and I gained the benefit of telling it from the point of view of somebody who rarely has had the floor in his life, you know, who's rarely gotten to talk at any kind of length about what he thinks or feels. So to me, it's a huge benefit to just be able to go off on huge tangents and to not, you know, constantly be moving the, fo- the story forward, just, you know, to go off and and think of something else, and have ping-ponging thoughts. You know, that's the way I want to wanted to write. You know, and it was, you know, there was a certain stream of consciousness quality to the book, and um, you know, that's what I really liked. And you know, the the character is not me, and you know, he's not based on me or anything like that. But I did get the opportunity to inject him with some of my little points of view, like that. That what you read, Mm -hmm. you know, so I got that opportunity to just kind of vent or philosophize or whatever I wanted to do. So the format was really helpful for me.
0: It's one of the enjoyable parts of the book is you get to go on these tangents. And I I imagine that must have been fun to write, to be free, to take a left turn when you wanted to take a left turn and go down that road as
1: long as you wanted. The, The whole book was that. Yeah. The whole book was... Nobody's looking over my shoulder. Nobody's expecting this script by tomorrow. You know, nobody's going to rewrite this right now, you know. And, you know, as a writer, especially in Hollywood, but anywhere, you know, you better enjoy the process. You better enjoy the actual work because once you hit send, you know, it's like driving a new car off the lot. It devalues by 50% immediately. You know, anything that happens... Outside of what you've done with the work, anything good that happens, you know, you got to consider that gravy.
0: (laughs) Well said. I think you're exactly right. Was Mm -hmm. something jumping into your head? When you were writing the novel, did you have... Because you've been used to writing television scripts, was that in your brain, that format that you had to sort of break and say, no, this I'm writing something completely different from a different voice, and I'm following a different rule of writing? I have, to, Or did your TV habits kick in?
1: I would say it was the opposite. Mm. Mm. Excuse me. Um, did you just burp? Yes. Cool. Um, it's something in this water you gave me. Burps are welcome here at Reason Aloud. <laughs> Um, I love Howard Stern's burps. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. I love that he...
0: And Robin goes, oh! That's
1: one of <laughs> I my... Or she says nothing, which yeah, is Yeah, she just lets it, great.
0: lets it go by. So... Um, I could talk about Howard Stern for 45 minutes, by the way. So yeah, well, just in he's...
1: Case. It's amazing. He's basically, you know, aside from you... Please. He's basically the best interviewer <laughs> in the world right that's, now. Yeah, he is. Um, he is. Anyway, what I want to say is that... Um, Seinfeld and TV was a detour in my career. Right. You know, this writing the book was more on track with what I've done with my with my post college life. So, um I did not really refer back to to script writing at all while writing this. You know, it was like a whole different thing, but it felt very natural because you know I actually like writing full sentences.
0: <laughs> when you were working on Seinfeld and like at the height of its success, was there a side of you that was also really frustrated because you weren't able to work on the kind of writing that you were most interested in?
1: No, there was oh. no there was no time to be frustrated, and also. I was always very aware of the learning experience involved which was you know trying to become a creative person and trying to understand story and things like that which I had never really done I was a journalist so I was used to like looking out at the world and reporting on it and Seinfeld was more about looking inward and then making up the world so it was a whole different thing and um you know it was an ongoing process trying to learn how to do that did you do you
0: do you remember like the first time you realized was it as early as the first script you wrote you were like oh god i have to use a completely different perspective or did jerry or larry david come to you and say here's what you no, you're not doing we need you to to look at you know x y and z
1: um i don't think either i i definitely know larry and jerry never came up to say to me and said anything like that you know right. because so you weren't You know, there a- was a very survival of the fittest air on that show because you know Larry and Jerry are comedians. You know, comedians are cold-blooded. Yeah. You know, you get hired on the writing staff of Seinfeld and you come up with good ideas or you are gone We're fucking gone. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and really gone. I mean, you know, Jerry was never somebody who had a problem with, you know, letting someone go next. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, you weren't coddled, you were kind of on your own. Which was great for me because I'm used to working alone. You know, as a writer at like at the Washington Post, I wasn't sitting around and, you know, with six other writers going, gee, how should I open up my lead here? You yeah, know, right. should I say should I say the president said or should I say the president inquired? Right. Right. You know, I was used to being, you know, I, I could have never Worked on a show, you know, I couldn't have been on Friends or something like that where everybody's shouting out jokes till three in the morning. I would have been fired because right. I can't do that. But Was
0: that the way that the Seinfeld Room worked, that <coughs> everyone went
1: on their own and created their own We things? didn't have a room.
0: Oh, wow. How many people were were writing dur-
1: during the It varied season? wildly. You know, the first year, there were like four. The second year— the second, year, the second full season, you know, the first full, I'm talking about full season, yeah. which is season three, there were like four. Season four was, you know, the best season of the show. And, you know, we had Larry David, Larry Charles, and me, and then we had four comedians on staff who basically were there to generate ideas. Yeah. So um, then when the show got really super popular and everybody was just, you know a wash in money they could hire much more people you know and you'd have you know three or four other writing teams and you know then we got a few people from Harvard and they start you know reproducing and multiplying and right. you, you know they 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 start doing mitosis and there's like the next thing you know there's like 50 of them <laughs> right all from the
0: lampoon yeah all regurgitating the same material. Exactly. Um, it seems like that's a sign of good leadership because I've, I've been lucky enough to work with some great showrunners that like successful guys like Aaron Sorkin and Chuck Lorre and they do the same thing. If you're not cutting it, you're fucking gone. And I think they have they have quote unquote bad reputations as being hard bosses. But I think that that's also driving the writers, the men and women who are in their rooms to work hard and to excel because if, if you can't hang... Like this isn't playtime you're 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 gone,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, they do it their own way and they stick with it. you know, I Chuck's way would be you know rough for me you know, with, in what well, way? Well, you know, he's very very, you know, collaboration of a whole group.
0: yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, people don't go off and write their own episodes right I don't
1: or or if they do, they've had the story entirely beaten out. Before they go off, and right. then it's basically Mad Libs, right? You're just inserting your own flavor, and that's yeah.
0: basically it.
1: Yeah. And Aaron, I don't really, um, you know, I, I don't really know about his system, but um, you know, I, from what from watching his shows, I always get the feeling that he's basically written everything.
0: Yeah, I think his. Uh, I mean, it's sort of. <laughs>
1: Which is really good. I mean, you know, yeah. he's a great writer. Yeah.
0: And all of his shows have a singular voice,
1: um, yeah. and that's Aaron's. And people talk really, really fast. They do. And, and they're, they're hyper-articulate. Yep. Which is, smart. you know, he's got a style. You know, yeah. people complain about that. I was like, well, what are you complaining about? The guy's, you know, he's got a voice. Absolutely. And if
0: you don't like the voice, that's fine. But don't complain because he's made that choice. Yeah. Were you a comedy guy back, did you have interest in comedy, or were you just drawn to journalism?
1: Mainly journalism.
0: Yeah. How did you how did you find your way into into comedy? I mean after You
1: know, just I liked you know, I, I was a big Woody Allen fan and you know, there I, I was a big comedy fan. You yeah. Know, I, I you know, I I loved Mel Brooks and then, you know, like I saw you know, like airplane, you know, and I remember just being blown away by that. Yeah. And, you know, just out of this world and Arthur and, you know. Yeah. But I don't think I ever really thought of it as a career.
0: Did you have trouble – I'm generalizing about writers, but a lot of writers have issues with confidence. And I was wondering if you had issues with confidence as you transitioned to writing comedy, if you were, un- if you were
1: afraid that you would be – It wasn't comedy that I was worried about because I never had any problem with dialogue or anything like that. It's stories. Yeah. You know, it's forming the stories and finishing them off and, and coming up with great stories. And, you know, that's the stuff that made me nervous, you know, because that's the whole job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically, you know, you don't have to do that on most other shows. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody on, an, on, a, on a, like on a Chuck Lorre show ever has to come up with, you know, the story for, you know, whoever the blonde girl is on – Yes,
0: Anna Faris. Um, um, on the,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know. He, or what's her name on uh, Big yeah. Bang Theory, yeah. I mean, on Seinfeld, you had to come up with stories for each of the four characters. Right. Constantly. Yeah. And that's what it was all about. Right. Yeah. So not so much pitching
0: what the best joke was and the delivery of that joke. Right. It was joke. Funny. The word joke, like, hardly ever came up at Seinfeld. Right, right. There's a great... Um, it's it's been said you have unbelievable blurbs on the back of this book, and it keeps reiterating that this book is both hilarious and also really moving. And I found I found that and mm-hmm. I wanted to again this podcast is called Reading Aloud, so I do some reading aloud in it, which is another. Awesome. I'm, I'm, Go right I'm, ahead. I'm gonna read your book to you. This is a um we're talking about the birth of our hero's son, Charlie. Um the first time, this is on page 22, the first time I picked Charlie up after he was born, I actually whispered to him, we are going to have so much fun. A gurgled bubble came out of his mouth, which I interpreted as definitely. For a while, he was a bad sleeper, but when he was like six months old or so, I started keeping, keeping a radio near his bed, and I'd turn on games for him, especially when the Yankees were playing, and I swear he'd fall right asleep. It was so cute. During the off-season, I actually played tapes of old games. Toward the end of that phase, when he was around two, his eyes would get heavy in bed and he'd say, Yankees. Actually, another funny thing, for a little while, Charlie was wetting the bed and was real upset about it, so one day I told him I'd gone through a bedwetting phase too. I didn't, but I wanted to make him feel better. Charlie's jaw dropped. Really, Dad? And I said, yep. And that was before wetting the bed was cool. I think that was the first time Charlie ever got a joke. And guess what? He never wet the bed again after that. You see, I don't parent by the book, baby. In fact, when some TV parenting guru advised reading to your kids at four months old, I thought it was so stupid that one night I read aloud to a a four-month-old Esme from In Cold Blood. Elise laughed her ass off. To me, that's a great combination of the sincerity of this book and also uh really great jokes. And I wondered as you were writing it, did you want to have that balance? Was that balance there throughout, or was it heavy uh, on one side or the other?
1: Well, there's a certain you know, we were talking about the freedom of you know, getting away from Seinfeld in a way. Well, you know, one of the big freedoms in writing the book is that if I wanted to be poignant I could. Yeah. You know, and I obviously at Seinfeld you know, one one moment of poignancy was the best, was the fastest way of getting you back out on the street <laughs> yeah. you know so um, is there
0: a single moment of poignancy in seinfeld
1: you know there's a tiny 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 moment in one of my favorite episodes actually and it's really early on it's called the deal when Jerry and Elaine try to make the deal where they could still be friends and sleep together yeah yeah and when the deal doesn't work at one point there's a you know you know Jerry's like no this no that and you know and she goes i just can't and you know it's like there's like there's one tiny moment yeah. that's about as close as it ever got and you know so i think this is as far as the novel is concerned it's just a lot more natural yeah you know i i just you know when i'm when you're writing these things i think if you're going to have a poignant moment or a funny moment, you don't want to tee it up, you know? So yep. I always wanted to just be surprising and sneak up on people. That's the main thing I think about. You know, I just don't want anybody kind of realizing that, oh, a funny line's about to happen or, oh, wait a minute, I better, you know, like get out the tissues. Yep. Not that anybody's going to get tissues from the book, but.
0: Um, no, I, I I get your point. I think something – I I had – Jerry. do you know Jerry Stahl?
1: Have you spending time with Jerry? I don't know him. I mean, I, obviously, I know who he is, but I, yeah. I've never met him, actually.
0: It's a wonderful guy. You, you two would get along. He he came in and spoke about his most recent book, and it was about the birth of his daughter, his second child with his new wife. And it is fucking it's, – it's Jerry Stahl, hilarious and grotesque and over-the-top and broad and fun – and then also, just a second later, it just kind of taps you on the shoulder out of nowhere with a beautiful moment of sort of simplicity between father and daughter. And that's
2: great. Because
0: that stuff is so hard to do. Just like, I, because if you go too far, you've lost your audience, right? They know yeah. it's coming, they've already checked out. Doesn't matter how great you deliver on the actual moment, they already see it coming from a mile away. So it doesn't have any resonance.
1: Yeah. They can't see it coming. Yeah, that's... It's really important to just kind of... Hide. ...drop it in, and yet, you know, don't... You know, it's it's a perpetual huge effort to make everything look effortless. Yeah, right.
0: And that's... Isn't that sort of the nuts and bolts of a great writer and a great actor?
1: I would hope so. Just that it is effortless. Yeah, even though it's a huge effort to it make an, it effortless. It is impossible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a ton of work to make it effortless. I,
0: something, there's a, such a small piece of color about this character that I love so much, but I, that he's a, I've never heard this described ever, and it made me laugh out loud because it, it is so silly that he is a monogamous <laughs> masturbator. Yeah. I, I, where the fuck did that come from? How did that pop into your brain? I don't know. God, is that funny.
1: I love the idea of somebody who, oh. who thinks of the exact same girl every time they masturbate, no matter what, and they would feel like they're cheating. Yes, on yes. I don't know. I, 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 I have no idea where that came from, but I just, you know, sometimes you're just writing and you like think about it and like, oh, wow, that would be really funny.
0: I mean, I... I saw this guy within five pages, but um that was such a beautiful piece of color. Masturbation is such a private thing you're able to to um sort you, you get to enjoy any fantasy that you want yeah it's no holds barred. and
1: he's still loyal in that yes so it says a lot about the character too yes. in a funny way yeah
0: i guess it's i guess it, I love the joke because. You're, it's it's something that should be a and it's and this character's doing it in z it's the exact yeah. opposite of what masturbation should be exactly and it's that that pull between those two things and that's...
1: the funny thing is you know like somehow <laughs> you know like 30 pages in you know at a certain point i had, had him making one little crack about his wife and i felt so bad about it and then i realized i really like his wife and he yeah. likes his wife yeah and you know this could be an all new genre. The yeah, ma- the marriage that works. It was so. Who I, writes about a marriage that's good? Nobody lo- writes about that. It jumped out at me. It mm. really
0: did. I thought, well, this is this is going to turn. This is setting me up for some fuck horrible piece of thing l- later in the story. But it ju- it really jumped out because I'm so used to mm. when you read this kind of like stories about suburbia. It it is a fraught. Yeah. marriage, relationship, whatever. That is like the crux of the story, and you're stuck in a loveless marriage, whatever. And this is the – he loves Elise. Yeah. Crazy about her. Still trying
1: to impress her. Yeah. Like
0: 24 years yes. in. Yes. And he's, he's, he, he's worried about saying certain things because he doesn't want to embarrass himself and – I just, I, it's lovely. It's so yeah. lovely.
1: He's still on guard. I love that. On but, guard, yeah, yeah. You know, he's still like, I'm still trying to impress this girl. God,
0: it's great. It's so clever. I, I hate to use the word clever because I feel like that's a shitty word for no, writers I think to No,
1: I think that's a good word to bring back.
0: Okay. All right, good. Because it is. It's incredibly clever. You've told this story a bunch of times, so I apologize to make you tell it again. Um, but my listeners would be compelled by it. Your, your work on, on Seinfeld started with almost kind of a chance interaction with Larry David,
1: yes? Yes. Well, you know, that's the important thing to realize that, you know, it's all luck.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's 90%. There's
1: no goals about meeting Larry that day. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I had um, met Larry a couple of times in New York, you know, one or two times before I moved out here. And then, you know, after I'd been out here about, you know, a year or so, I bumped into him again and he goes, you know, I'm doing this little TV show with Jerry Seinfeld. Maybe you could, you know, give me a writing sample. And uh, I'll pass it on to Jerry, and maybe you could write a script. So, um, <laughs> so I uh, I didn't really have a script to give him, so I gave him a essay that was kind of a humor with a little bit of bittersweetness. I m- might add, it was a humor essay from the New York Times, and. Um, you know, he, I just got the call back from Larry. Like, uh, Jerry really loved the lo, loved yourself. I uh, want you to come in and you know do you know write a script. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, so we came up. I saw three episodes of the show, the three episodes that they had produced up until that point, and I was kind of like blown away. You know, so, really? Yeah, it got me actually nervous because I thought the show was so good. I was like, Wow, oh my God, this is something I actually would want wow. to
0: do. Wow, so you knew that. That quickly?
1: I knew that quickly that it was good. I yeah. didn't know that quickly that it would be a success. Sure, of <clears course. <clears <throat> but, um, you know, so I went in, I pitched an idea, you know, with the help of Larry Charles, the idea kind of took shape, and that was it. You know, all I had was basically a Jerry and Elaine story. I had nothing for Kramer to do. I had nothing for George to do. And... Um, You know, I wrote with the freedom of somebody who doesn't know what he's doing, which was a real big advantage. Yeah. I happened to throw in this whole storyline about George, you know, about everybody being at a a party watching the New York Marathon and, you know, George wearing a wedding ring to see if girls would hit on him more. (laughs) And that was a complete shock to Jerry and Larry. I hadn't you know i wrote that whole storyline in as i'm writing the script i you know they never even knew that was going to be in there wow and um i turned i drove out to the valley and dropped off the script and larry said well we'll probably call you tomorrow or the next day and uh, we won't, probably won't get to read it till uh, tomorrow or the next day and you know and i i drove all the way back to venice where i lived at the time and um I had an an, a message on my answering machine from Larry going, uh, we lied. We read it right away. Uh, we love it. It's terrific. You're, you're terrific. And um, Holy shit. Next thing you know, I was loaded. <laughs> 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 yeah. well, that's
0: pretty easy. Yeah, crazy. Um, when did you realize that something, I mean, something like, <clears throat> are you, if you die
1: yeah, no, in the middle I, I of this know.
0: podcast, it's going to be great.
1: Yeah, no. Because people want to listen to it. the ratings. Live death I feel on like the air. I have like one thing like stuck in Don't somewhere. Don't you die on uh, me, Peter. Okay. Do you want to take a minute and cough no, it good. up? No, I'm good.
0: I'm I'll good. I'll watch you cough as, as long as it takes. No, I'm good. I'm good. We really like good. theater of cruelty.
1: Yeah. No, it's fine.
0: Have you ever seen a play when an actor has something in their throat and they can't get it out? It's the most. No, but I'd love to see that. It's the it's the greatest. It's a thousand people going, oh, okay. Oh Jesus, everyone's feeling the same. Oh, please cough it up. You can get it. And it's uh, just compelling to me. When did you realize that something as simple as, it's two words, double dipping. And it became this, this, this new phrase in our culture that almost, if you, if you wanted to pull one thing from Seinfeld to the average viewer who isn't a Seinfeld like obsessive. I mean, shrinkage, double dipping. When did you realize that those terms had cultural significance? Did you like? Oh, I, I don't but know. Certainly
1: not when I wrote them. Of course, of course. You know, it took for it took a while. You know, like I don't know. It's just like all of a sudden, you know, it starts off slowly. Like,
0: like what's the first? What's the? I first remember thing?
1: on this uh, hearing, you know, some really dopey morning drive time radio show where. You know, like, I don't even know why I was listening, but the woman, you know, talking about some actor and going totally sponge-worthy. And I'm like, what? Holy (laughs)
2: shit.
1: (laughs) And then, you know, like, I remember saying to, like, the writer's assistant, you won't believe what I heard on the radio. She goes, oh, no, I hear people saying it all the time. Like, what? You know, it's bizarre. I mean, you know, in double-dipping, you know, and... You know, I'm always, like, amazed about double dipping and shrinkage because those seem kind of obvious to me, you know, especially double dipping. I mean, you know, who, how come nobody came up with that? It's, like, sitting right out there for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you. Do you use a lot of dips? Do you eat a lot of chips? No. I mean, I saw somebody at a party once, though. that got annoyed. You know, they didn't say double dipping. They sure. said, you know, you, you, you put it in there. You know, you're getting your germs and you know obviously i thought wow that's a great that would be a great seinfeld moment you know to blow up a party or something like that and i don't think it was any big stroke of genius to come up with double dipping you know to to you know to sure you're trying to find a, some kind of Indic- yeah term that indicates what you're talking about so you know so that was no big deal you know that didn't you know it's it's like the only time i ever tried to coin a term was like anti-dentite and that was in the same episode as yada yada so anti-dentite kind of got lost in the shuffle and yada yada went crazy through the roof it sure did
0: I'll finish up with this I just I I wondered if there was um certain novelists or writers that you admired and um maybe I'm Emulate isn't the word, maybe it's a journalist. But there are there certain men and women that you consider to be greats, and that you're drawn to that you that you read. Yes,
1: um, John Updike, Philip Roth, hmm. Laurie Moore, yeah, Joan Didion. I can't get into Joan Didion. Oh, you got to read the White Album. It's like I tried. I couldn't get through it. Really? Ugh, oh, she's the greatest. Fuck, I can't. I don't know. I just try it again. All right. Um, Fair enough. Or try After Henry. There's a book called After Henry, which is more about the '80s. Maybe it'll be a little bit more relevant for you. Okay. Um, being all millennial and whatever you are. I was
0: born right? in '77, Peter. Oh. Come
1: here, fucking break, Jesus. Oh wow. God. By life guy, don't I? Yeah. I look great. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tremendous. Absolutely. Well, preser- well preserved. Yeah. A lot of SPF. Of course, this cryogenic studio you have in here. That's, um, anyway. I want um, to keep you awake. It's <laughs> like <laughs> so yeah. the Letterman studio. Um, who else do I, uh, you know, in um, Don DeLeo. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a Franzen guy? Don't you do it. Um, I'll throw you right out of here. I, I no, I like him. Okay, cool. Good. You know, I'm actually the the only reason I hesitated is because I'm having a little bit of trouble getting into purity. Purity? Okay. I gotta get I you know, and it's more me than the book. I'm I've kind of enjoyed it, but I don't know, like I'm starting to think like maybe this was one time he's hitting on a subject that I don't care that much about. Okay. Yeah. But he's great. You know, I mean the corrections was like insane. Oh, insane.
0: When you, uh, when you get home, if you have a spare hour, every month our show does a book club where I bring three or four writers, comedians, uh, um, book lovers in. We'll read a book, and then we'll spend an hour talking about it. And we've done both purity. Yeah, I know what a book club is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go I think ahead. we're going to finish the interview right now. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and we – fucking asshole. Um, and we had a very spirited discussion about Purity. People fucking hated it, and people loved it. Really, and it was split amongst genders. Well, that's genders. good. Then
1: that that makes me want to read it more. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of fire in there. Um,
1: you know, y- I mean, I, I think I think any, most good writers are going to split you amongst gender lines. I mean, you know, people thought Updike was like unbelievably misogynistic, yeah, yeah. or Philip Roth too misogynistic. Oh, for sure. I don't happen to think so. Yeah, but. Still, his uh, the the observations are so amazing. You know, I'm more influenced than Updike by Updike, but you know, yeah. just, you know, I just can't believe how great he is.
0: For the beginning of the baseball season, I'm a big baseball fan. I read um, on the show. I read um, <clears throat> Ted Williams. Yeah yeah it's 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 the greatest piece of sports writing ever, right?
1: It's out of, out of the greatest ever. Yeah, okay, good. out Hands of down. this world. yeah, out of this world. I mean, that's a great piece to read in the beginning of baseball season. Oh, it's, it's just the most charming
0: thing you've ever read. It's so beautiful. It's stunning.
1: and he's you know, I mean, first of all, just that this genius man can, you know take the time out and write about Ted Williams. I know. You know? I know. see, I thought for, for me first reading it, I thought,
0: wait, writers can like sports. Yeah, I thought writers are just like solo academics who just are by themselves and they come out of their caves and they're strange and th- they certainly don't like sports because sports are what dumb jocks are into. These two worlds
1: can cross and yeah. can
0: cross so beautifully.
1: Yeah. That's what I, I mean, love. And, you, you know, you could cross journalism too, you know, I mean. Yeah. You know, you think Truman Capo- some of Truman Capote's greatest work is journalism, you know, well, In Cold Blood is basically yeah. journalism. Sure. And it's, it's the greatest, it's one of the greatest books ever written. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Wolfe and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, all these guys wrote incredibly great stuff. Yeah. Um, Gay Talese. Yeah, right, right. Um, oh, so what have just Gay Talese is article. I don't know if you ever read it. He wrote a piece called Frank Sinatra Had a Cold. It's out of this world. No,
0: I I haven't read it. Yeah, you'd love it. I'll read it immediately. Uh, Peter Melman wrote a book. It's called It Won't Always Be This Great. It's out now. Go pick it up. It's wonderful. Um, Peter, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me. This was really my pleasure. It was great. Cool. Thanks. It's act three. It's reading aloud. And every Thanksgiving makes me think of this one very specific story of my past. I had a very strange Thanksgiving in 1993. I was, uh, God, how old was I? 46? I was 46. 47. I was 15. I was 16. And I just, I wasn't getting enough attention, I guess, in my life. You're laughing, but it's totally <laughs> the excited th- for this story. <laughs> I am the, I'm the youngest of three. I was an adorable little kid. I did the drama club because I wanted people to get praise from people. I wanted attention and positive reinforcement because I didn't have enough of it and I was like, "Well, how can I get more people to look at me <laughs> and I wasn't a, like I wasn't the smartest kid. I didn't get good grades um, I just didn't care, and so I thought, well, all right, this is I want to meet girls and I want attention. so how do I do that? Well, duh, you become the mascot, which I did. I auditioned to be the Weymouth Wildcat. There was only one other kid auditioning who was um, a troubled kid. And I was friends with one of the um, cheerleaders, and the cheerleaders cast the mascot. The mascot, your commitment is to the pep rally before Thanksgiving Day, to all the home football games, to the home basketball games if you want. But really, it's about football season. So you get a really old, ratty, wildcat outfit. You put it on. You get to dress in the locker room where the football players dressed. And I thought like I was part of the team because I was such a sports fan and I didn't have any sort of athletic gift at all. And I remember going into the, like talking to the football coach saying, hey man, my name's Nate Cordry. I'm going to be the mascot this season. Is it cool if I just like prance around? (laughs) I don't think I used the word prance, but I might as well have. Like on the sidelines during games, and he was like, I, "What? What? What? Get the fuck out of my! O- sure, just don't get in my way, you fucking idiot." I'm sure he was a lot more polite than that, but he just like brushed me off, like, "I don't care about the mascot, you dumb dumb." Um, I forget how that coach is, what, who he is. I think he's passed away. Suicide. Kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, so. Thanksgiving Day, we play Brockton. Brockton is a football powerhouse. I fucking hate Brockton. I know. And Brockton, Sam, is tough. Okay. Brockton is fucking tough, dude. It's a fucking hard fucking city. Fucking hard team. It's a fucking hard city okay. and a hard team, okay? They're called the Boxers because Rocky Macianos from Brockton and they named the football team after the famous boxer. But their mascot is a dog. A boxer. Thanksgiving Day... Everyone in the town goes to the football game. Of course, it's at 10 in the morning. You get there early. You watch football. You wear a heavy coat. And then you go home and have Thanksgiving lunch at 2 o'clock. This is my, fir- this is my big day, okay? I show up. I get into the outfit underneath the stands. I come out. There's, there must be a 1,000 people there. It's a huge game, and Brockton's really good. It's, it's a game that's like covered in the local paper and on the news, because uh, Brockton had a good team and they like funneled players to Boston College and to other big programs I'm dancing around like a goofball comes to halftime and I go out to the middle of the uh, the middle of the field to do the you know the the cheerleaders do a dance the dance team does a dance the band plays and I have no direction no one's talking to me I have no coach I have no like per, like teacher advisor I'm just left alone to look like a jerk off <laughs> <laughs> which I do incredibly well. I'm at the 50 yard line in front of the entire town dancing around. And then I see all the people in the stands stand up and they're going, and and this is huge commotion. I'm like, why is everyone standing up? And I turn around behind me and the boxer is like probably two feet away from me. And the boxer has, has a 30 yard head of steam and just wrecks me. Like, Just I am runs through you. Fucking leveled, like an open field tackle. I am standing still. I try to like absorb the blow, but my brain isn't fast enough to respond because this thing is right on top of me, and I am decked in front of the entire town. <laughs> my my mascot helmet comes flying off, and so I'm no longer a wildcat. I am Nate Cordry, who has few friends. <laughs> On his back, my paws have flown off. You know, like when people get in car accidents and their shoes fly off. Yeah, yeah, that happened, but with paws. Mm-hmm. I'm on my back and I'm sp- like sprawled out, trying to grab my helmet to cover to hide again. Because if it's revealed, that's me. I'm f- I'm fucking screwed. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. It's like mm-hmm. the number one rule at Disney. Exactly. Do not take off your mask. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and I was following all Disney rules. I'm trying to reach for the helmet. Oh, it's all fucking flooding back to me. And I look up, and this dog is on top of me, just hammering me. Are you supposed to hit people? This is well here. This this is the crux of the story. Okay. <laughs> I see through the hole of the boxer that it's a girl, that it is a heavy set gal. Who is on top of me, not saying anything. J- I can see her fucking face right now, vividly. And she's just punched me in the face. And I'm, and I don't even remember what I said except like, what are you doing? Why? Why are you doing? What are you doing? And I finally pushed her off, but I couldn't hit her back. Yeah. I'm not going to hit a fucking girl. Cause then the story is not only to get my ass kicked, but I fought back and hit a girl. You, that's, you, that's off the table. So I finally kind of shove her off of me. I run over and grab the helmet and put it on my head. It's fucking sideways. I'm missing both of my paws and I'm like, and all the cheerleaders are like, get out of here, like yelling to get the dog, like pushing the dog off of me. So all these like 15 year old girls are trying to save me. And I'm like, the whole town is going, Boo! Hey, You fuck it! You get your ass kicked by the- Hey! Screaming and yelling. The girls are fucking... And I look over and I'm like stumbling back to the sidelines like with my uh, arms up in the air trying to fucking like, oh boy, oh, I'm really sorry, everybody. And there's just like fury. And I look at the fence and there is my brother and my sister and my mother and my grandfather. And they're all, their hands are, their arms are on the fence staring at me. With these just like blank, they don't know how to feel. I look back and the boxer has one of my paws in its mouth. And I'm afraid to go back there because I don't want to get into another fight and get beat up by this girl again. My mother, my mother crosses the football field at halftime, goes over to the dog, takes it and says, how dare you? My mother... I couldn't stick up for myself, Sam. I had to have a bunch of 15-year-old cheerleaders, members of the dance team, and my fucking mother get my paw back. Did you ever recover from it? sounds like you're still on that field. No, no. It's like post-traumatic stress every Thanksgiving. I make my way through the crowd, which was a fucking nightmare, underneath the stands to like have a fucking moment by myself. I take the helmet off, and I'm just like, did that happen? Do I... I have to, go to, I have to go back to school on Monday. I have to go to school. My ears stick out. I'm a fucking goofy, weird kid. I have very few friends. I'm not good at school. I'm, um, it's all over. I will be forever remembered as the guy who got his ass kicked by a girl on Thanksgiving Day. I wanted to, um, my perception, of course, is, 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 uh, <laughs> is clouded. By uh, fear and insecurity, so I wanted to bring in someone who experienced that with me. So, um, so I need to, I need to, I need to call my sister. Hold on. Hello, Laura. Yes. Hello. Hello. Excuse good. me. Hello. Listen.
3: <laughs>
0: this is your uncle Nate.
3: Oh, good uncle Nate.
0: Yeah. Hey, Uncle Nate, um, forgot your son's, uh, birthdays this year.
3: Ooh. The little Yeah, what ones? do you, th- how do you think
0: about, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like I missed both, both of them by a day.
3: Ah, uh, no. What? what do you think? No, you got something for Noah. You got him the Brady jersey.
0: I did. I yeah. got him the Brady jersey and then I sent some stuff to Owen as well, okay, but I was late yeah. both times.
3: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, am I, I? put this on Twitter this week because it was a realization that I made. I think I'm like, oh, uh, kind of. Okay, I feel like I'm I'm like the weird, fucked up uncle.
3: <laughs> no, I don't think you're. The, you're definitely the cool uncle. Um, well, I mean, Bob's cool, but they don't get to see him as much as they get to see you. So you're definitely the cool yeah. uncle.
0: But if I was a kid and my uncle forgot my fucking birthday, I would be upset. My feelings would be hurt and I'd be disappointed in this person who I assumed would show up in those types of situations.
3: Well, but if you think about the uncles that we had, it's very different than the role that you play. Like you're involved. That's they true. They know you, they text you, they call you. So something like that, they just, almost get excited if you miss it because then
0: they have another present <laughs> well sweet then uh December 27th I'll be wishing them a Merry Christmas <laughs> me a lot. I was I was <laughs> yeah. I was really thinking about this week I don't know why I guess because it's the holidays and I was like fuck man I am the loose cannon uncle who doesn't have his shit together because uh, I was driving <laughs> I was driving Sloan to swim practice and she's like why don't you have a girlfriend oh <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, very I said, yes, very they honest. are. And I was like, that's a great question, Sloan. I don't have an answer for you. She's uh-huh. like, well, maybe I had a question about school. I was like, well, I don't have kids. So I don't, I don't know uh, whether or not you go to school on this day or not. She's like, well, first you have a girlfriend and then you get married. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's yes, I was, goes. I was like, yeah. yes, that's typically yeah. how it goes. Yeah. yeah. But I felt like single. she thinks... This is yeah. I I think this is my own insecurity and my own vanity getting the best of me, but I do think that both of them and my nephews think um and you don't have to like refute this and be like, "Oh no, no. I'm just saying this out loud." I think they think I'm weird <laughs> and uh and other. Anyway, well, let's go beyond that and I need I need your help with this Thanksgiving story, I, I just told it, but, I, but my memory of course is hazy and fucked because I witnessed it myself and I'm not quite sure how bad it was because in my brain, it was catastrophic. It was something <laughs> I would never recover from <laughs> and like, I was like, I just don't, I can get homeschooled. I don't have to go back to school on Monday.
3: Right. Did you,
0: you were, you were there, you were at the game. I was there. How many people do you think were there? Oh, Everyone was there. Yes.
3: Hundreds, hundreds of people. (laughs) Yeah, we actually got there. I went with mom and we got there a little bit late. um, And we couldn't even sit on the Weymouth (laughs) side because the stands were so full. So there had to be 500 people on the Weymouth side. Like when you think about they do graduation there, right? So how many people are they sitting? I would think probably about 500. So we had to go sit on the Brockton side, which was also packed.
0: Yeah. Ugh, well, it's a big. G- I mean, it's a big game. It's a big game. Yeah, a huge rivalry. Had you? Had you it, yeah, huge. Had you ever gone before, or w- did you go just to like support me?
3: Um, I had gone the year before because that's the big thing that you do in, when you're in college is when you get home for Thanksgiving, you see all your old classmates at yeah. the Thanksgiving Day game. See who's gained weight, who's lost their hair. You know, who had a girlfriend
4: (laughs) who still
3: wore their Weymouth high jacket, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Remember Mike Smith had his his Weymouth high jacket? Do you remember? No, it was Kevin Smith. Yeah. even at like 13, I was like, you're a fucking buffoon wearing that Weymouth jacket. You're 29. (laughs) Knock it off, you goof. Anyway, you go. Was Bob there?
3: I don't remember him being there.
0: Shit. In my brain, he is.
3: I don't remember but, him being there. If he was, he didn't sit okay. with us. He might have just sat with friends.
0: Oh, okay. But Papa was there.
3: Papa was there. Yes.
0: Papa was, Did Papa sit with you?
3: Uh, he did. Um,
0: oh he did God. on the Brockton side. Okay. So halftime comes and out comes your goofy little brother who we had a broken relationship at that time. <laughs> we, we didn't. We barely spoke, and when we did, it was cruel. <laughs> it wasn't like until you went to college that like we became we became better pals.
3: Right. Right.
0: It's it's halftime. I'm out there dancing, and then what what happens
3: next? So the was it a bulldog or was it a boxer or something? It was, what was a it that was a blessing? boxer. Okay, so that animal was with the cheerleaders on the Brockton side of the field. Yes. With the Brockton cheerleaders. And they were doing their little number and was like making gestures like, oh, there's the wildcat. I'm going to totally go get that creature. And of course, then the (laughs) Brockton fans are like, you know, getting all excited and egging him on. Really? Um, Oh, my gosh. egging her on. And then, um, uh-huh. so Thank then, you. she went running across the field and basically like body checked you to the ground. Um, yes, and and I think supposedly in, in all good fun, but you had no idea she was coming. And no, I no did idea not. No idea that it was a girl inside that costume either. <laughs> yeah. When you they saw this. Beat up by a girl. <laughs> <laughs> when you That's saw what I would have said when I was 19.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, well, when you saw this this animal charging me, did you think? Did you turn to mom and go, "Oh shit"? Or did you? Or did, were you laughing like, "Oh, this should be fun. Maybe no, this is I, planned"?
3: I actually thought I didn't think it was planned, but I actually thought like, "What? What? What are they really gonna do? Like, they gonna go over and like pull your tail or?" they going to go over right. and like, you know, pull your ear. Like no one's going to block check a person in a cat suit to the ground. So uh, that's what a I brought
0: from Brockton will <laughs>
3: <laughs> I Leveled. That it would. Uh, yeah. That it was just going to be like a, a game and that maybe you'd chase each other around or something, you know, cat, dog kind of thing. Right. But I didn't, Did uh, my- I didn't think it was going to end that way. you Did-
0: neither did I. Did you see my face like when my helmet came off?
3: Um, First of all, it wasn't a helmet. It was a cat head. Sure. Second of all, um, I was on the other side so I couldn't. But as soon as you hit the ground, mom leapt out of the stands. We were probably four or five rows up. And I don't even know if she hit any of the stairs on the way down and was like Jesus price. and off she goes to the other side. And,
0: oh my gosh. Yeah.
3: And she was that mom who's like the letter writer. You know, if someone pissed her off, she's going to write you a letter. Like our plane got delayed once. She wrote American Airlines a letter of how terrible it was. She was, or,
0: she was a ball you know, buster. Got,
3: yeah. Whatever, a teacher who said something to you at school, she'd write a letter. So she was totally going to go over there and give this dog a piece of her mind. Um, And then as she got closer, we saw the dog take its head off, and it was a girl. And then we thought, oh, shit, Nate just got (laughs) decked by a girl. Yeah, I think we, I'm pretty sure we left right after that, too, because we were so embarrassed for you. We didn't want to stick around. Really? Really? (laughs) Which was probably the worst thing we could have done. Like, (laughs) you
0: basically abandoned me to a thousand people. Hold on. I I want to. There are two things I want to comment on. One, I'm incredibly moved by mom's immediate mother response to leap down and try to, like, protect her son. Whether or not he's, like, about to get shot in the war or beat up by a girl in a dog outfit, it doesn't matter. She had the same impulse. And that's. Wonderful. I that's I that makes me feel good to know that like in that moment she went to protect me. Yes. Secondly,
2: <laughs> I don't know how come
0: you left so quickly. Did you think people would oh you mean like your friends would see you and be like, Oh my god, Laura, your brother just got his ass kicked by a girl. Are you ashamed? Is that well, I, a, is that what you felt?
3: I think we were thinking like Nate needs to get out of here. So like we're <laughs> like we're the I, town.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, and, and we were on the Brockton side too, so I had a feeling if Mom did come back, that she would have some words for whoever had a comment to make about the dog oh, beat up the fuck. cat.
0: Yes, so she would have. Yes, she, she would have
3: thrown some people against the stands if she had to.
0: Do you remember any of the fallout? Like, do you remember that Thanksgiving dinner? Like, me coming home? Do you remember like having a conversation with me or saying anything to me? Do you remember how I felt? Like, what I looked like?
3: I I don't remember, um, having, I don't remember like what, how the conversation started, but I remember saying something, or maybe it was Bob or mom, one of us said something about being a girl and, um, you were so angry, not like embarrassed or you were just like angry, angry because it was a girl.
0: Holy, Holy shit. Yeah.
3: Yeah, um, like stop talking about this, like shut up, oh, you guys, fuck. kind of thing. Really?
0: Yeah. Really?
3: Yep. <sighs> of course that made us <sighs> want to just talk about it even more. Of course. Of <laughs> course.
0: I walked right into the fucking trap.
3: Um I mean you've been remember house on the, Thanksgiving. That's just very gross.
0: Oh God, yeah. No holes anyone is uh <laughs> right. anyone is exactly. open to get torn in half.
2: Exactly.
0: Um, I remember I remember that following day, that Friday, like having off from school and going to see Paul Morris and him like being like, like, being really sweet, being like, dude, it's not a big, people are going to just forget about it. But, but his dad taped the game. He's like, do you want to watch it? I was like, "Uh, yeah. Okay. So I watched the tape of it. Cut Um, to maybe seven or eight years after that. I'm visiting Alan Pettit at his house in Weymouth and his dad comes out. Alan Pettit Jr. Uh Alan Pettit Sr. was in the driveway. And he was wearing, a, uh, it was like 1,000 degrees in the middle of August. He was wearing a long-sleeved sh- uh, sweatshirt. He goes, hey, fellas, uh, I'm allergic to the sun. Anyway, let me tell you something. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's the cat. Hey, it's the cat. There's the cat. And I was like, well, hey, how you doing, Mr. Pettit? It's been, you know, seven years, nine years. But anyway, nah, you're the cat. Come over here. And he like gave me like a gruff kind of like um, wrapped his arm around my neck and kind of gave me a headlock. He goes, hey. Let me tell you something. I got three videos. My oh, wedding, God. Rambo one, and you getting your ass kicked by the Brockton boxer. <laughs> True story. Ben. True ben, story. Ben, so, so thank you to Alan Pettit Sr., who was the first grown adult who said something super racist in front of me. <laughs> That's also a memory that I have. Um, Laura, thank you so much. For coming on Reading Aloud and and sharing your memories of that uh, moment with me.
3: Thank you. Um,
0: I hope you have a great Thanksgiving.
3: Thank you. I hope you do too. Hope you you. bring a girl to Sloan's uh, Thanksgiving or she finds one for you in the process. I
0: I am. I'm bringing uh, my friend Eleanor, but we're friends. It's not a romantic thing. But um, but Uh, I am bringing a lady.
4: uh, Baby steps. Perfect. Baby steps.
0: (laughs) First, learn to talk to them, second, love them. (laughs) Uh, Have a great Thanksgiving. I love you. I'll see you You really soon.
3: All right, bye-bye. All right,
0: later. Uh, Big thanks to my sister, Laura, who I adore. Um, (laughs) Taking a trip down memory lane. Uh, Thanksgiving is weird for me, but I still love it. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoyed the show. Big thanks to... Wendy Molyneux. Wendy Molyneux is a terrific writer, and she wrote this unbelievable piece on McSweeney's. It's just so fun. Find it yourself. Read it at your table. Uh, It's called Cooking a Thanksgiving Turkey is Easy. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy, for allowing me to share it with my listeners. It's so fucking great and funny. And big thanks to Peter Melman for coming in and talking about his career and his novel, which is fantastic, and his uh, his time um, working on Seinfeld. And thanks again to my sister, Laura. Go pick up Station Eleven, be a part of the book club, and come to the next live show. It's going to be the last one for a while, so come check it out. It's on December 13th at the UCB Franklin. I'll see you next week with more Reading Aloud. My name is Nate Cordry, and have a great day.
1: Oh, you hit me like a hurricane.
2: (laughs)
4: <laughs> Merry whatever to you. It's me, Santa Claus. Who oh, better not give you my real name? It's the second scariest weekend of the year, and guess what? You don't have to leave your house to go shopping for great deals. The Earwolf store is stocked with lots of stuff to wear, hang, or give this holiday season, like a limited edition Comedy Bang Bang Hoodie and poster that's two separate things it's not a hoodie that's also opposed to that would be dumb get your head out of your ass you could also get a a hey nong man t-shirt or wonderful new Spontane Nation socks to keep your feet warm you gotta keep your feet warm you gotta you don't know, want to have them chopped off like you get gangrene or some shit Support Earwolf and our podcast, their podcast, by visiting Earwolf.com. Click shop and get 15% off this weekend, only with the code BLACKFRIDAY. Like that movie about crashing the blimp into the Super Bowl. Look it up! Oh, happy holidays!
2: They tricked me. Earwolf did a prank on me. Hi, I'm Sean Clements. I do Hollywood Handbook. I'm one of the two hosts. And Hayes Davenport is probably the host you would like better, but I'm who's here today. Anyway, I made a promise to anyone who listened to one of these little inserts that they would not attach a clip of Hollywood Handbook because, of course, I think that it's actually kind of filthy and dirty for Earwolf to just take someone who is trying to listen to one show and force them to listen to a piece of another show. I just don't think that's, I didn't want them to put a clip in. I guess what I've learned is they did attach a clip and that I guess it was super funny and it made people want to check out the show because they picked like a really great part from one of our episodes. I wish they hadn't done that. They've promised to let me come in, correct the mistake by just saying we're never doing it again. And now when I stop talking, you're not going to hear a clip from Hollywood Handbook. You're just going to go either back to your show or you go listen to something else. If you decide to check us out because it's what you want, that's fine. But you're not going to get forced to listen to us. Bye. Leos is where Sriracha comes from, which is something that a lot of people haven't heard of yet. But I go – wild for that stuff. I put it in oatmeal, I put it on hot I'll dogs, I'll put it on eggs, I put it I put it in uh, cherry pie, I put it on f- on a fish and I literally will eat it eat the eat whole thing after I've and I will eat the whole thing after I put sriracha on it.
4: <laughs>
2: after I put sriracha on it.
4: Whoa. Hollywood handbook. Oh, whoa, whoa.
2: Pop.
4: Pop? Pop. Pop
0: pop, pop,
4: pop, 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 pop,
0: This has been a Wolf Pop production. Executive produced by Paul Shear, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt
4: Goorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.